This is Splice. Hey, this is Splice Pink. This is a podcast of quick conversations with people around the global media ecosystem, from media startup founders, journalists, and funders to all the tech, data, and design folks. So today we have a somewhat newly minted media entrepreneur. Sudhir Vadaket is a Singapore author, commentator, and journalist. And a year ago, he co-founded Jome, which he describes as a digital magazine that covers arts, politics, and culture in Singapore. Is that a right description still, Sudhir? Yeah, I, I, I think that's fair. We're a general interest magazine, a weekly digital on Singapore. At the moment, we want to expand across Southeast Asia one day, but at the moment, just Singapore. So that's mm, right. Let's, let's talk about yeah. Southeast Asia later. Um, can you explain who Jom is for? Jom is for the audience that appreciates commentary, analysis about the news, uh, literary journalism, long form. We do a lot of long form journalism where we've just started getting into photo essays and eventually podcasts as well and and some video so i guess you know if you think about media consumers it'd be the same audience that the likes of the new yorker or the economist or the ft kind of go after uh you know not not your typical sort of mass market daily news uh subscriber or consumer so you've done stories around singapore about stuff like politics social mobility i was reading up a little bit you know children's right to privacy, food and food cultures, art housing, you know, Malay poets in Manhattan, BBFAs, or what Westerners would call incels in Singapore, slaughterhouses in the UK. So I find this fascinating. So I'm, I'm curious, as editor-in-chief, for you, what makes a story a Jom story? I think, I mean, at a broad level, as long as there's relevance to Singapore, it's interesting to us. You know, we, we, we've got such a broad remit that we actually spend a lot of time on curation every week. So so what Richard has just mentioned are, are some of the combination of some of the shorter sort of blurbs that we do, which, which offer our opinion on events, happenings in Singapore over the past week or two, but also some of our longer articles. I think you mentioned one or two of them. And we spend a lot of time basically figuring out what our audience might want to hear about when they think about Singapore. You know, these are people on a Friday, we think, who want a sort of a quick recap about what happened in Singapore. And, and it's not just reporting on the news, but they want analysis. They, they, they want our view and opinion on what actually happened and why it matters uh, in, a, in a short, succinct way. Can, can you talk a little bit about, about your audience? Um, you know, what, what would be some of the uh, personas, right? Um, are they living in Singapore? Are they Singaporeans overseas? Are they, you know, media consumers? Uh, or are they politicians <laughs> even? We haven't yet conducted a good reader survey. I think that's on the agenda for the next couple of months. But I, I can share anecdotal evidence of, of what I think our, our readership is. This also, if you know, I, I've been an independent writer for about 10 years. So I, I, I've got my own blog data for about 10 years. And I, I think from that, roughly 10 to 15% of the audience is overseas. And uh, the rest is in, you know, actually based in Singapore, as far as the IP addresses go. Now, the overseas ones, I, I guess, are mostly Singaporean diaspora, who are based in places like Hong Kong, Australia, Malaysia, 
London and the US, th those are the popular places where, where I, I've tended to get a lot of uh, readers. In terms of the profile, I think, you know, the, the, there are a few groups that, that you know, Jome's product, I guess, sort of satisfies. One, again, diaspora who are far away, maybe not plugged into Singapore news day to day, but once a week, they, they like that little snapshot, opinionated snapshot of what happened. They want to keep up to date with what's going on in Singapore without necessarily being inundated by news every day. Who, who else might fit that profile? Uh, we've got a lot of interest from, of course, you know, other Singaporean writers and analysts and, and, and anybody who's in that broad space of keeping up with Singapore inside the country. But also people like embassies, right? We, we've got a lot of clients from, from the different embassies so and 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 it's quite nice. They they regularly take us out for lunch or or, or invite us to some of their sort of cocktail events at their embassies. Uh, so so these are foreign foreign diplomats based in Singapore, right? Who want to for the same reasons keep up to date with opinionated news of what's happening in Singapore, right? Be, beyond what the Straits Times or or the motherships of the world might be telling them. So I'm curious to go again, you know. Because we're Splice, we tend to ask a lot of questions about audience, you know. Sure. Um, and, you know, in your recent memory, it doesn't have to be data or analytics, but what story recently stood out for your audience? What recently res resonated? Um, in late October, we, we published a couple of pieces around the destruction of Dover Forest. Now, Dover Forest is a secondary forest in the western midwestern part of singapore and it's one of the many forests secondary forests that will be destroyed in order to make way for new public housing and in singapore and stop me if this is too much detail but in singapore there, there, there's, there's a there's a lot of tension uh between you know the need to conserve our green areas but also the need to provide affordable housing so you know it's it's a never-ending tension that we'll have uh, housing, as you all know, is extremely expensive in Singapore. It's gone up a lot, uh, especially over the past couple of years. COVID has a lot of new money has come into Singapore. We we approached that issue. We we both wrote an essay and we also filmed a video, an eight-minute video short. Uh, and we had a wonderful protagonist who actually lives in the area. And and he took us through Dover Forest. He's a, he's a conservationist and environmentalist. I think those two... Uh, that that sort of series, uh, the, the essay and the video together, those are very popular to a whole bunch of people, right? Popular to people uh, interested in green issues. It, it was also interesting to people who are thinking about how to solve our public housing quote unquote crisis in general. And you know, a lot of younger people in Singapore are very concerned about whether they can ever afford to move out of mummy and papa's bedroom, right? Um, and and I think so. It, it it also was interesting to that group of people, and I think people felt that we 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 also talked a bit about the whole public consultation process, which which the protagonists had been involved with. This is between members of the public and different arms of the government having a conversation about what to do, and and how that process is changing as well in Singapore to hopefully become a bit more consultative and and you know uh, a bit more open to dialogue with members of the public. I remember when you first launched your your newsletter. Uh, this was August uh, last year, right? And uh, the first one, do you remember the headline for that? 
Man, actually, I don't, man. <laughs> it was it was a fantastic headline because it said, isn't it risky starting a magazine in Singapore? <laughs> oh, yes, 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 yes. That yes, is fantastic. Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. What, you know, what What have you learned from, you know, almost how many months now? I can't do the math in my head, but four months, I guess, uh, of doing this. What is it about the Singapore space that makes it so unique, do you think, when it comes to your readers and uh, and just the landscape, you know, overall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for reminding me of that. I, I, I think I was coming off a few months where I, I, I kind of felt a lot of, I don't want to call it negativity, but, you know, I, I think feelings of concern for, for me uh, starting starting a, a new media company in a, in a place that hasn't always been very hospitable to independent media, as, as, as we all know. Now, my, my experience has actually just been uh, uniformly positive, uh, I'm happy to say. Now, we, we had a little bit of a hiccup right at the start in terms of registering our business. So it took took a bit long to register our business with ACRA, which is the uh, governing body in Singapore. But but that was fine. We had, you know, very open, honest conversations with the officers there. And I think their, their main concern was around funding, which, you know, at the end of the day, is a concern for many countries around the world, right? Uh, worries about foreign funding, foreign interference in your local media outfits. A lot of countries are facing this. So, so that was the only concern. And once, once we had kind of ironed that out, it was fine. Since then, you know, over the past few months, we actually have had really good interactions with different branches of the government. This is both in terms of when we uh, request a comment from them. You know, so, so back, back to that Dover Forest piece I was talking about earlier, we actually sent requests for comment to two different uh, agencies. One was HDB, the Housing Development Board, and the other was URA, the Urban Redevelopment Authority. And, you know, very good conversations with them, and, and we included their, their comments in our piece. And, and I, I'm kind of making the point because, uh, as, as Alan and Rashad well know, but maybe some of the listeners don't, you know, if I, if I turn the clock back 10 years, Independent media would never get a shout from, from any any government agency, right? I mean, you you you'd you'd spend hours writing emails and making phone calls, and and you know there'd be no response. So so there's actually been quite a sea change, I think, in the government's desire to be responsive to independent media outlets, um, which is really encouraging. Um, they may not treat every independent media outlet the same, but uh, they've certainly been quite quite good to Joe and the other the other one last thing I, I'd, I'd mention is around um, when we when we had a factual error in one of our pieces and we had a really good interaction with the attorney general's chambers so so we actually wrote about the AGC which you know I, I guess everybody is a bit careful when writing about the AGC but we, we wrote about the AGC and, and we said something critical about them and we actually made a factual error on, on a Friday. And on Monday morning, they sent us very kind, gracious email. You know, uh, dear Sudhir and the Jome team, <laughs> there's a factual error in your piece. And, and do you mind correcting it? And, you know, we corrected it. We, we put a correction notice up and that was all fine. You know, maybe sort of getting into this in a bit more detail than everybody else would appreciate. But it, it, in Singapore, I, I, I do think there's been a bit of a change in terms of how uh, the quote-unquote establishment wants to actually deal with independent media. Hmm. And um, I think they were probably trying to call you on your phone there just now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry about <laughs> That's that. That's all right. <laughs> um, 
So I, I, I like how you describe this as a sea change. And I, I have to agree, I think over the years, um, it feels like government agencies have been more responsive and, and more accountable in the, on that front, right? When it comes to responding to journalist questions. You know, when, when you look out into the media space here, and this is your second headline that you wrote, uh, you said, you remember the headline? The second headline <laughs> no. for, for your second newsletter. Uh, it said, how no. are you different from Rice and New Narrative? Yeah. So looking back now, do you feel like you've, you've sufficiently distinguished yourself as being, di- you know, obviously different from, uh, from your competitors? Are they even competitors to you? I, I think at one level, everybody is a competitor. You know, I mean, that, that's the very generic, I guess, answer. The broad view would be even, you know, video games on the phone are, are a competitor to us um, in terms of attention. But more directly, New Narrative and Rice are the closest analogs uh, because they also tend to do sort of longer form literary type journalism. Have we distinguished ourselves enough from them? You know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of put New Narrative to the side a little bit because New Narrative has been going through a lot of changes and I think the market isn't quite sure yet what New Narrative is or is becoming. So uh, I, I think at the moment, maybe Rice, people still do compare us to Rice. It's still an ongoing process in terms of getting the market to understand how we're different. I think certainly the writers and, and people in the journalistic space, and this is through conversations I've had with writers, uh, you know, contributors who come forward, I think they, they can now quite visibly see how, how you know, there are differences in the way we approach stories and I mean, if you ask me to define it, I, I would say the main difference is because of our business model, right? So Rice is an advertising-driven business model. Ours is a subscription-based business model, which, you know, in my view, gives us a lot more latitude and space in the editorial process. Um, whereas with the advertising model, as everybody knows, there's, there's always a bit of an imperative to make the content attractive to as many eyeballs as possible. You can look at specific pieces now that we have. So, so the BBFA one that Rashad mentioned earlier, Rice has done a piece on BBFA as well. And uh, so, so BBFA, for listeners who don't know, stands for Pui Pui Forever Alone. You know, Pui Pui is Hokkien for fat and Pui Pui Forever Alone is a term used by a particular online community and, you know, somewhat like incels, I guess, in, in, in the Western world. And so Rice did a piece on BBFA, which in, in many ways looked a lot more at the individual personalities and, you know, their behaviors and, and what they were up to. And, and Joe last month did a piece on BBFA, which was actually a computational analysis, uh, which which one of our data scientists went through, essentially looking at the prevalence of BBFA activity online, and also doing some really cool like word association type things, which were linking the term BBFA with other terms, uh, you know, uh, online that, that might give you might give an indication of misogyny or, or violence or, or, or other sort of interesting things that are going on uh, in terms of the personalities involved. So I have a question about formats. How is Joan thinking of productizing or thinking about formats? Um, you have a newsletter, you have a website, you do, you do Instagram, Telegram. You also have an upcoming print issue 
which your membership page mentions. Uh, do you have events in mind? Do you think you, you mentioned a podcast? Talk to us about some of these things. So let's start with the print issue. We, you know, a lot of us love print. And I think in the long term, I hope that we can get to the stage where we do a monthly print issue, maybe a bi-monthly print issue. But starting out now, we've committed to an annual print issue. From a revenue perspective, I, I don't know what that's going to look like and um, you know, to what extent it will be a revenue generator, but, but I think it can be, both in terms of, of advertising and sales. The way I see it, it's, uh, it's kind of going to be a bit of a statement piece just in the first couple of years, so, so letting the audience know uh, what we can do on print. We will commission some print-only stories, um, and I think we're going to time it just before National Day, probably. Um, so that's that's for print. In terms of podcasts, we, we've got a very exciting podcast series actually planned. I, I can't actually talk publicly much more about it because <laughs> uh, I think um, in terms of getting the sources to go on record, which which I'm about to start doing over the next couple of months, it's we, 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 we've got to be a little bit secretive about it. But I've, we essentially have a three, four-part podcast series planned. It is going to be fairly political in nature. That, that's about all I can say. Um, and we hope for it to launch within the next year to 18 months. So so planning for that has just gotten underway. Now, again, from a revenue perspective, I'm not entirely sure. I see it, I see it mostly as a sort of a marketing vehicle to just get uh, the Job name into a whole different set of uh, potential listeners. Um, so we'll be doing some sort of like direct advertising for the Jome subscription product within the podcast. I don't think we'll be necessarily trying to like approach advertisers or sponsors for our first podcast, you know, partly also because it's a kind of an unproven product. So we'll be using, using it mostly to, to drive Jome subscription traffic. Let's talk about that, that subscription uh, traffic. Um, sure. So you basically have three different tiers, member, supporter, patron. Do you want to quickly explain what, how these are different from each other? And, and of course, talk about the pricing as well. It's just, you know, uh, differentiated by the level of closeness, I, I guess, in terms of the reader and the Jome team and Jome community. So the base one is a member, what we call member, which is $10 a month, $10 Singapore dollars a month. And that mostly gets you just access to all content, right? To all our paywall content. Now we've got a middle tier, which is called Supporter, which is $25 a month, if I remember correctly. And there's mm -hmm. a bit of a discount for annual purchase. And that gets you things like we've got a monthly, not monthly, we've got a periodic behind the scenes uh, Zoom call with journalists that's been fairly popular where, where uh, sort of journalists talk about the craft, what 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 goes into the the writing and and the design of of individual pieces. So so that's an opportunity for readers who are interested to have a chat with journalists about how they do what they do. Uh, we also offer discounts to our live events, which so far there's been one a launch party. We we do hope to have more uh, actual in person events this year. Uh, to your earlier point, Rashad, uh, and I I see different forms of this. And I think it also gets you a copy of the annual print issue, the middle tier. And then we've got an upper tier, which we call patron, which is $950 a year. And this is, you know, 
you can look at it sort of a exclusive little community um, of people who actually want to help fund and subsidize independent media in Singapore. And 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 for them, we we offer recognition in our in our print uh, issue as well as an annual dinner for patrons. What's been quite exciting for us is that when we started out in August last year, we just initially thought of having one tier, right? One single tier. After conversations with some of my friends who are into di- different digital subscription businesses around the world, we decided to like, you know, have different tiers to capture capture the higher paying end of the market. It's been successful in that 26% of our subscribers are on the upper two tiers. I, I never expected that. If we had this conversation in August last year, I, I you know, the optimist in me would be like, I hope 10% comes from the second and third tier, right? Uh, and I expect ninety percent from the from the from the from the lower tier, but actually we've got twenty six percent from the upper two tiers. So seventy four percent members and and twenty six percent supporters and patrons. So I have a question: if if I get a job at Jome, would I be called a Jomalist? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> no. You, oh. you 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 would be called a Jom Red. Jom Red, <laughs> okay, Jom, Jom Red. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a nod to our our slightly uh, uh, leftist leanings. So so you know, not not a comrade, <laughs> not a comrade, not a comrade not a but a Jom, Jom Red. <laughs> I love that. So listen, I mean, here's you know, just to wrap things up, I just wanted to ask you, you know, about the future. Um, by the way, congratulations on on being pleasantly surprised with your membership or, or subscription figures. That yep. that's delightful to hear. You know, Sorry, if I can just skeptics, it, yeah. The 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 ratio, I, I I think in terms of the pure numbers, we're we're just about you know we're, we've got six, about six hundred paying subscribers now, and we want to get to three thousand. So we're still some distance from that, but the but the ratio, the the split is is looking really good. Uh, here's here's your typical um, you know big tech interview question. Where do you want to see Joe in five years? If you had that success metric, that dream in mind, where would you see this? So in five years, I hope we've got, in terms of format, we've got uh, established uh, podcasts and video units in-house. In terms of geography, in five years, I hope we have made at least our first overseas move. The most likely places for us are KL and Penang, um, and that's partly because of uh, talent, uh, partly because of access. You know, we've got people who are familiar with the markets and, and we know people there. And, 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 and what do I mean when I say overseas move? Um, I think we want to move there and, and basically develop a, a local team that can do the same thing in KL or Penang that, that you know, Jome Singapore is doing in, in Singapore, providing a curated, opinionated product for people in that particular city. You know, so so not necessarily a KL outpost to to be sending back KL stories for the Singaporean reader. I mean, there'll be a little bit of that. I, I think there'll be a little bit of like cross fertilization in terms of content, but it's mostly creating a dedicated team with the same principles that we have in place here for for providing content for those cities. So so that's where we'd like to be. I think in five years. Very good. So so dear, just to wrap things up, why don't you do a shout out? and tell people where to go to be a member and how to be a member. Yes, uh, please log on to jome.media slash membership and you can pick one of the three tiers, whatever works for you. 
And uh, yeah, subscribe today to help support independent journalism in Singapore. And to be a drum rad. <laughs> and to be a drum rad. <laughs> be a good exactly. drum rad. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of Splice Pink. If you like our conversations with people across the media ecosystem and want more, just hit subscribe. And better yet, just share this with someone else as well. And also, one more thing, get in touch with us. We're on splicemedia.com. Thank you, Sudhir. Thanks. Sudhir, all the best. Thank you. <laughs>